Hi, welcome to the HRD Live podcast. I'm Finn Murphy and I'll be your host. I'm joined today by Daniel Okin, Head of Learning and Development, Contract Management at HM Cabinet Office. In his role, Daniel has the strategic responsibility for the cross-government contract management capability, L&D strategy and implementation to upskill the 50,000 contract managers across the civil service that manage circa £50 billion annually. As such, Daniel is well-placed to discuss the key priorities in L&D strategies today, how to harness the benefits of digital change and ensuring team cohesion during remote working. Please note that as this was a remote recording, the audio quality may fluctuate slightly from time to time. Enjoy the podcast. Daniel, thanks so much for joining us today. What are the intended outcomes for your L&D strategy at the Cabinet Office? So Cabinet Office, from the area that I work in, we have a very ambitious agenda, which is rightly to raise capability in the commercial contract management sphere. So as you can imagine, um, uh, you know, I, I would say government spends 50 billion a year, and that's, that's a handsome sum of money on services and goods that are vitally important in order to um, rightly make sure that we have the right skills, the right people to be able to deliver and manage contractual goods, services for the public. And they could be anything from facilities management, construction, infrastructure, defence, all of the critical agreements and contracts that enable us to deliver what we promised to do so you know from department of work and pensions home office cabinet office across government so it's it's, it's very complex and and i suppose that has been our agenda our obligation to support ministers to support the public really in making sure that we best spend public funds in the right way that our contract managers and commercial professionals are aptly trained and and, and doing that using a blend of both behavioural and experiential learning methodologies. And of course, just been intensified really because of the COVID-19 pandemic, rightly. So, you know, affected, I suppose, because of the COVID-19 pandemic, like any organisation, because, you know, primarily our training was face-to-face in order to deliver that richness of workshop co-collaboration across government um but then more importantly um you know i suppose because of how important buying more contracts are in, in relation to covid19 so all covid19 has seen for us is, is suppose a, a almost an intensified period of of burst of contract procurement in right you know through, through the right and proper channels in order to um make sure that we've got the right infrastructure in place to manage through the pandemic but of course what we need to make sure is, is that that training adjusts to support those professionals broadly speaking what do you think are the key issues that lnd should be addressing one of the priorities you're always going to have in lnd is how do you drive efficiency but reduce a cost no matter what organization you're in that's going to be one of the questions i think the second bit that i i, I think um we found was the digitization I think digital always played a part in most organisations' learning and development journeys. So, you know, some companies may have been 100% digital, where rightly government and, and where we were was a blend. But actually, that blend has somewhat shifted to a almost 100% digital, but with a virtual element to it that makes it as near to the face-to-face environment as you can. And I suppose the challenge that you face in that environment is you lose the richness. I mean, all of a sudden, 
learning becomes a screen, doesn't it? If you think of it, you've moved from body language and the ability to talk to colleagues, network, have that coffee chat over the water cooler or the coffee machine in a training facility to a small screen, no bigger than, you know, no 10 inches by 10 inches and actual screen really. And suddenly you become this box and that is, you know, tone, eye contact, body language becomes facial expressions and hand gestures. And that's as far as you get. And actually, how do you keep and maintain that, that engagement, you know, in a virtual environment, because this is becoming the norm a little bit really. And, and that's some of the challenge that I think we've had to work through is that engagement, behavioral training, that enablement for people to feel that they're not missing out on that face-to-face element and still get that quality of product, that quality of learning. How do you think L&D strategy can be best informed, whether from customer feedback, external influences or best practices? First of all and foremost, it's about listening to your customers. So um, even in government, you know, best way of calling them, they are customers, right? We are we are providing a learning service, whether that is a service that, you know, an organisation would pay for, not pay for, however you want to look at it. I think we need to understand what the, what, what our customers' barriers are and actually their, their, their kind of pose no-go areas are. And, and rightly, we've got the expertise from a learning angle. I think also about looking at what's been going on outside of government. You know, look, you learn through some of the best and actually the best are our academic partners who have been doing digital learning for years. So people, you know, who rightly teach masters education programs organizations that have digitized their learning back in 20 you know 2019 2018 how have they how have they adapted their learning methodologies their learning tactics in order to deliver a real credible learning program we also need to think about the behaviors so actually i think look you, you need to cut it what is the purpose you're trying to achieve so for me it's about providing that level of introduction and uh, I I would say experiential and plenary learning offer that takes an individual from an introductory module on a scalable learning program with assessments between it that measure capability change and that capability change needs to be how they do their job coupled in process wise so how you do how you deliver process and you do the day job coupled with your behavior so the right behaviors that we want to evidence in government in the civil service now what we had to do was think about well how do you do that in a digital environment actually going back to you know the behavioral element is some of the harder bits because actually you can see behavior in a, in a in an interact personal interaction but actually in a screen or where people don't use their cameras actually and that's some of the challenge where you you, you know in some aspects you lose that 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 camera ability due to either technical issues or or personal choice and you're then left with just voice how can you help somebody think differently act differently and apply that in line with process technique and in order to help them shift their understanding into, into delivering something differently. So you are looking at a people change culture, a culture change, a shift in behavior change. 
in a virtual world. And, and, that, and also in a world where I think over the last year, we've been in isolation, haven't we? I mean, when was the last time people have seen their colleagues? It's probably, a year, you know, over a year now um, for some. Um, it's quite a challenge. And I, I think all those elements, you know, that, that's kind of the stuff that we've been doing. And it's, it's engaging with your stakeholders, understanding what you're measuring, thinking about how you can still try and successfully measure those components. So for us, we've had to think about, my colleagues had to think about, because rightly, we, we, we rightly have a like a kind of joint approach. How do we assess those measures that we teach? So my team teach a, um, a subject matter, um, lead on L&D programs and that L&D strategy. How do we then assess that capability change? in a digital environment and that's quite a challenge um but i go back to i think having conversations with stakeholders being able to understand customer needs and then looking at what is changing in the landscape in the lnd world uh, what has gone on externally what's going on internally and listen to those experts that have been through this for years because actually many organizations have been delivering digital learning before covid came along and actually like the Open University, as an example, deliver majority of their courses academic um, through digital learning. Do you feel that HR leaders are expecting the introduction of new core capabilities? I, absolutely. I, I don't think that what we should be saying here is that we see a shift in the you know the working from home or, or era and stuff like that. That's wrong. I think we become more flexible. We move to a flexible approach to how we work. And I think that what does that mean for individuals depends on what that means for them, um, their organisations. But I do think that what we are seeing is a shift in the operating model of some of the behavioural and technical capabilities that organisations want out of their staff. So actually, you know, this is going to be really, really challenging. So if you are in the relationship building uh, uh, game, so if you are, you know, whether this is retail or hospitality, suddenly meeting more frequent meetings are going to be virtual as well as maybe face to face but actually much more opportunity where people this has become a new norm for a little while so people are going to kind of rightly are going to be saying well no, less phone call more more virtual chat how do you engage and how do you build those relationships with a virtual screen that's going to be that's going to be really critical isn't it right how do you drive customer loyalty how do you drive those kind of key elements there that I think are critical for organizations. But for skills, I think digital skills, the ability for, especially in learning and development, I think organizations have spent a lot of money over the last year, probably in digitizing a lot of their learning platforms. So I think they're gonna to have to make a choice now, you know, where does face-to-face -face fit back into this? Is it by exception? Is it then 50-50? Or is face-to-face -face going to revert back to the normal where digital plays a secondary element? And actually, that's that's the balance, isn't it? So as an organisation, even for us, we're going to have to think, so uh, how do we want to teach our colleagues across the civil service? How do organisations want to teach their colleagues across their, or their business? Are you going to invest more money into running 50-50, which, which I think is quite a challenge there, or are we talking about um, an organisation 
thinking about the skill sets that then underpin that because if you are teaching in a digital environment then you need the tools and techniques and the and the capability to do that so you're going to have to shift your your teaching uh models but also the capability uh, uh, uh thresholds around what you're trying to evaluate how do you think strategy can best be applied for different ways of working I, I think it's still early. It's still very early. It's even early for the cabinet office. It's only for all government. It's only it's early for departments because rightly it's about the balance. I, I wouldn't want to work from home every day. That would be the most depressing thing in the world for me. And that's for me personally. Right. Um, and I also think, you know, most organisations will probably sit there thinking, well, as an individual, do you want to be in an office every day? It, and actually, if we just take a step back, I think it's about the job you do. So, you know, does a job require you to be in an office every day? I think it's also about organisations will probably see this as a, a, a as a way of rightly thinking about finding that work life balance for their staff. I think it's about a sensible approach. And I, I underline that word sensible. I think it's about companies finding the balance that works for them financially for the um, and, and also you've got to think about the economy. Right. So uh, not only for your good mental well-being, being isolated at home locked in a room is not healthy and we know that um but obviously you know as we emerge through a pandemic people are going to want to see people so i think naturally we will see a natural surge to a, a a fair normal of where i think many people will still want to go to an office travel in and around their their cities whether that's you know, down in the south, so Exeter, Devon, Cornwall, or, or, or London, or Manchester, but depending on where these people are. But rightly, and I go back to the skill set will slightly shift in the capability that an, an organisation needs from people. And whether that shift is in regards to digital and, that, uh, you know, immersive digital learning, whether that's going to be skill sets fit for labour force for the future, so as we start to emerge out of a, a COVID-19 pandemic, rightly organisations are going to be thinking about, okay, what skill sets do we want our staff to have for the future? How do we enable people to become more fluid with, you know, um, online collaboration? You know, this is going to be the bit because what you're going to soon have is potentially in organisations, some working in an office and some working from home at the same. So, so therefore, if you've got some of your colleagues in an office and some are working from home, you don't want to create that sense of divide. You don't want people in an office to be making the decisions because you weren't there, because that creates an even worse situation. So actually, how do we enable through technology collaborative working, true collaborative working in a semi-digital face-to-face era where we're going to have to move to a bit more digital and a bit more face-to-face? So finding that balance. What do you think are the key issues to address and resolve regarding teams working remotely? I think it's really, really interesting how, for the first time ever, you can't spin a chair to ask a question to a colleague. So what, what I think I found is communication is key, but clear communication. It is very easy to misconstrue an email or a chat. And I think brevity is some of the cause for some of that misconstrued information. I think we find ourselves misreading, and I think this is also the, the bit that worries me 
as I go back to, I say worry, worry is a strong word, the risk. This is the risk element of when we move back to a face-to-face environment and we find that blend of working, you know, remote working, flexible working versus um, office working. How do you create a true inclusive environment where information is not misconstrued because isolation can make somebody or, or, you know, where somebody feels cut out, they start to feel they're not included. This decision was made without me. Or was I, you know, why wasn't I at that meeting that they had last week? This is the fear factor of, you know, natural humans that, that we will create. And it is it can be dangerous because we are rightly taking, you know, it's that kind of take one and one and come out with four. And actually, communication was the hardest bit for me because I have a team, I had new starters. So that's the other bit. So one of the things that we had was we had hired new starters that for the first time ever and for my lifetime were absolutely working from home and I'd never met them. So I'd met them on a virtual screen. You get to know somebody and it's odd. It's odd, right? But I've never had that. I've never been in an environment. And I think lots of us, I don't think any of us have been through that, well, that I know of, which is where you've truly got a colleague that you've never met in your life and they've worked with you for a year. And it's odd. Um, And how do you build that cohesive working relationship? How do you build a relationship with new starters all joining together or at different times where they feel part of a team? part of a family, part of a collective who jointly make decisions, collaborate, build relationships, they represent your brand, your departmental brand, your organization. These things have been my biggest challenges because, you know, we have got a very fast paced environment where I work rightly. Um, We are delivering some real critical key objectives and the team plays a huge part in that because without the team, you can't do that. You're on your own. And actually that's been about making sure that, that the team are well supported, are well being that balance between home and work life. And that's the other bit for me with this. So the other bit that I found the biggest challenge is making sure that those with children. So, you know, husbands, fathers, mothers, you know, wives, partners, are rightly carers, people who have got those responsibilities beyond work. How are we making sure that they are supported in order to be able to rightly do what they need to do at home? Because you're not you're not in the office anymore. And it's such a challenge that, you know, schools were closed and being able to balance all of that schooling, homeschooling, feeding children, feeding loved ones, carers, carer responsibilities, you know, pets even, anything. And it's actually, that was the bit for me. That was the biggest challenge I had was just trying to work through with the team, new boundaries, new ways of working, new rules a little bit, new, the new kind of, the the, the kind of what will soon be the old normal, because this is a year of new normal. Um, But actually in, in an environment where they felt safe to raise well-being concerns with me felt safe to be able to raise support where they felt they had too much on capacity was overstretched making sure that they were rightly managed and supported and and while still delivering our key objectives 
in a really remote, high-pressured environment. Thanks so much for joining us today. To keep up to date with the content produced by HRD Connect, make sure to follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter.